Today's show was sponsored by Bob's Red Mill, 100% employee-owned and operated, and founded on the principle of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway. It is a gorgeous, sunny spring day here in Brooklyn. It's a great time to start eating maybe more light foods. Um, We're going to talk about meat as the meat of the matter today. And um, I guess I'm really excited to welcome to the program Brian Keatman. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on the show. All right. So you are the founder, president of the Reducitarian Foundation, which is a grassroots organization promoting eating less meat. That's right. For health and environment. And you also have this new book coming out in a week called The Reducitarian Solution, How the Surprisingly Simple Act of Reducing the Amount of Meat in Your Diet Can Transform Your Health and the Planet. With a foreword by Mark Bittman. This is so exciting. (laughs) Yeah, I'm super excited about it. Congrats. So you started Reducitarian um, Foundation in 2014. Yeah, that's right. And... Okay, so there's. Let's talk about what that means because there's similar terms like flexitarianism. There's, I think there's like less meatarianism. Sure, we've all heard of things like meatless Mondays or um, something. You know, eating vegan during the week or something before six and so forth. So these programs that are around eating less meat. What is reducitarian? How's that different? Yeah, sure. Well, that's a great question. You know, a reducitarian is someone who's interested in reducing the amount of meat in their diet. You know, the average person eats 275 pounds of meat a year, and conventional animal agriculture is responsible in part for everything from climate change and biodiversity loss to many human health problems like heart disease and cancer and diabetes, obesity, etc. And of course, most animals that are suffering are not necessarily dogs and cats, but are actually farm animals, mm. pigs and Animal cows. welfare is thrown in here. Yeah, it's, exactly. Everything. It's everything. And so, sure, there are people who are vegan and vegetarian, and that's a really great way to sort of reduce your impact on, on all these issues. But there's a lot of people who aren't interested in becoming vegan or vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to create a movement and a word to describe people who are interested in simply reducing the amount of animal products that they consume. And there's lots of ways to do that. You can participate in Meatless Monday. You can try out Mark Pittman's Vegan Before Six, where you have, you know, breakfast uh, and lunch is vegan, but for dinner, it's your choice. Mm -hmm. Or you can be vegetarian or vegan. But the idea was that it's really not an all or nothing idea, uh, meat consumption. There's a whole spectrum. There is a whole spectrum. And that's why I'm wondering, like, you know, what what is the usefulness of a label like like, do you say, like, I'm reducitarian? Like, that's the (laughs) thing. Like, I don't know. It sounds almost like a religious, right? So... How how does that help kind of, um, yeah, how does that help people eat less meat? Yeah, sure. I mean, certainly we're not saying that everyone has to adopt any label, and they mm-hmm. may not want to adopt the reducitarian label. Really, this is an idea that this people is an should. Idea, yeah. but, but labels right. are important, and people do like to label themselves. You but, know? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, as um, Bill McKibben said in this one of these essays here in this book, um, you know, people are sometimes 
put off by like you know strict things and people can be a little preachy when it comes to like veganism and these really strict diets um and so forth and and the idea of reducitarianism sort of meets people in a comfortable place yeah i think that's right and it also brings people together you know i think we have this tendency to see vegans and vegetarians as and flexitarians and and people who are eating less meat along this gradient Mm -hmm. as different Mm -hmm. but given that the average person is eating 275 pounds of meat a year, if you're having even a single serving mm. of fruits and vegetables every day, you're doing a lot better than the average American. And so sort of pushing that movement forward is what we're trying to do. People like Some people like labels. You know, when I told people that I was trying to reduce the amount of meat in my diet and I wasn't perfectly vegan or vegetarian, that's a mm. lot of words to yeah. describe something. And so I thought it was useful to come up with a word that helped people communicate that yeah. idea in a, a sort of single single word. And certainly some people do like these labels that are like, you know, things like, you know, I'm paleo or something like that is um, helpful to many people, I think. And it's also helpful for people in terms of sticking to their, yeah, their diet, yeah. right? It's a nice reminder, oh, I'm a reducitarian, I'm a person who eats less meat. When it's fixed to our identity, to our sense of self, we're much more likely to actually adopt those practices. And so what we're trying to do is get people who are eating large amounts of animal products to identify in part as a reducitarian and then cut back. Yeah, yeah. It, it does speak to, you know, that there's an intention here. There's a consciousness about what I'm doing. It's not just like, oh, I forgot to eat meat. Exactly. I don't know. I was, I was, I was like poor or something. Right. I mean, you know, it's just no joke. But, um, okay, so... How did you, are you a reducitarian or yeah. a vegan? Did you start out as a vegan? Like, how did you yeah, come for, into this? For me, it started in college. You know, I was that guy who was interested in environmental issues and carrying around a refillable cup of water and was telling people to take shorter showers and recycle all the time. But it, it wasn't until much later that I realized the link between factory farming and all of the issues that I cared about. And when I discovered that, I really wanted to align my views with my actions. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that I wanted to try and be a vegetarian. And I did a pretty good job. I mean, I felt better. I was happier. But I wasn't always perfect about it. Mm-hmm. There were situations where I felt like I was a cheater or I was lazy. I remember one Thanksgiving with my parents, you know, taking and my, my sister taking a piece of turkey and my sister shouting across the table, you know, I thought you were a vegetarian, Brian, sort of mm-hmm. calling me out for it. Yeah. And I, I grew tired of that. You know, yeah. I was saying all, all these plant-based meals I had were so healthy and they were environmentally friendly and they were more compassionate than, than factory farmed meat. Why should I be criticized for the occasional sort of I don't know? So I didn't I didn't I didn't like that, and I said I got to come up with a word that yeah. describes this because I want to celebrate this. I want to celebrate this incredible movement of people who are eating less meat and eating more plant based meals. Yeah, and so that was it was really a personal experience for me. But then it turned out. There were lots of people who felt this way, that they were proud of the fact that they were eating more plant-based meals, but they didn't necessarily want to be vegan or vegetarian. Yeah. And, and so I think putting a positive spin on the movement is part of what we're trying to do and bring more people into it. And that's the value, I think, of Reducitarian and why I started it. I think it's really interesting because you put into words and you define throughout this book and your many talks and so forth what is essentially you know, a lot of people's desire, which is to, to reduce meat. And there's no sort of way of communicating that. And I just remember you, I just gave me a flashback. I was once on a morning talk show or TV show, um, presenting some, uh, a lentil dish, um, when my first book came out and the host said to me, so obviously you're a vegetarian, right? And I'm like, actually, no, I'm just, I'm just making a lentil dish right now. <laughs> like, oh, that's totally resonates yeah, you with know, me. I, yeah. Whenever I go to a restaurant and I order a vegan meal, I often mm-hmm. get asked, are you a vegan? 
And I yeah. always say, no, I just enjoy vegan food. This is the problem. We have this idea that vegan food is only for vegans. Right. And that's, that's simply not true. I love what um, Mark Bittman says in the beginning. It's like, you know, there's, there's few things that you can do um, that will help both yourself, your health, and the planet, which is just eating a little bit less meat. And, you know, if, if we can get, like, one quarter of the population to eat a little bit less meat, you know, that's a huge impact. And it seems more achievable than just getting, you know, 1% of the population to, eat, to be vegan. I think so that's a great it's line. more achievable. It's a great line of reasoning. You know, I think of my parents who probably fall into that category of eating 275 pounds of meat a year. And if I could simply <laughs> get... you say that, I feel really <laughs> gross. But okay. It is gross, yeah, yeah. But it's common. And yeah. if we could get my parents to cut back 10%, that'd be a reduction mm -hmm. of 30 pounds. In comparison to worrying about someone who's a flexitarian, eats five pounds of meat a year, that would only be a, a five-pound reduction. Mm -hmm. Focusing on people who are simply not ever eating fruits and vegetables mm -hmm. and getting them to incorporate more plant-based meals into their diet is the way to go. If we're going to be serious about reducing societal consumption of animal products and fixing climate change and improving people's health and saving farmed animals from suffering, we have to bring in as many people into the movement mm -hmm. as possible. And that's what I love about this book is that it brings together these... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, there's like a whole like chorus of different facets of this argument that people can attach to if they're passionate about like, I don't know, like <laughs> the the sexual politics of meat eating, which was amazing by Carol J. Adams, this essay. Yeah. Really interesting stuff. Or um, the waste implications, which Tristan Stewart wrote about. Right. You know, there's just so many. Passion, yeah. There's just so many reasons to eat less meat. And. You know, all of these contributors might not agree on everything, but that's what I love about this concept is it's really not a controversial idea. We have to reduce our consumption of animal products. We have to try to eat more plant-based meals. And to me, uniting this, all these different strands of the movement, the environmental movement, the human health movement, the animal welfare movement, let's just get behind this one single message because together we're just going to be so much more impactful in improving the state of the planet. Yeah, and I like how um, uh, the first, who was it, the first essay in here wrote about how David Robinson Simon, the author of Metamomics? Uh, Metanomics. Metan. Okay, <laughs> it's <whatever>. a mouthful. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of this is out of our, we feel like a lot of this is out of our hands because, you know, the, the subsidies um, that are, you know, given to, you know, it just a lot of this is like government policies that we don't have control over. This is why artificially low prices are applied to meat and vegetables are very expensive in comparison. It just seems like, you know, that's why it's, it's a really compelling argument that he makes that, you know, this is you see people eating more meat simply because it's perceived as a bargain and value and so forth. Yeah, we, li just, we like to think people choose food based on ethics, on right, environmental right. causes. but the or average, taste, I don't know. Yeah, but no, that's right. The, preference, but. the average person chooses food based on taste, price, and convenience. And so that's actually partly why I'm excited about some of the essays in the book that talk mm -hmm. about the future of food, right. about creating plant-based alternatives like, you know, Hampton Creek or Beyond Meat or even the future of cultured meat. Um, well, that's a whole story. It's all another ballgame. It is exciting, though, to see. And then, you know, it's the same, um, I guess, the same values that are the uh, same type of people who would be interested in, you know, eating these kinds of products because they just simply want to eat less meat. And now there's like more ways to do that. That's pretty cool. I think so. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but anyway, um, you know, going back to like, there is, you know, something that everyone can do about 
fixing the system, which seems so broken, so hopeless right now, right? You know, if we have artificially low prices for mead, it's um, it's polluting, you know, rain, it's pl- polluting, you know, water and so forth. Um, you know, factory farming is no joke. It's taking a huge chunk of climate change. Um, but just the simple act of eating less meat is so impactful and it can change, you know, the way people produce food and... You know, yeah, like create new products, you know, like uh, the yeah. clean meat and so forth. The world is pretty screwed up, and, and that's a sad thing to say. But, you know, I but think, this is empowering. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the point. Because In part, it's optimistic to me because the world is so screwed up. We have an incredible opportunity to make it better. And, you know, in this political climate, I think people are feeling, um, I don't know, disenchanted or that there's not a way to make a, a difference. But every single time we choose food, and usually that's at least three times a day, we make a vote. We make a vote for our planet, for our health, for the experience of animals. And so, look, it doesn't have to be all or nothing, but simply starting this process of, of trying to eat more um, plant-based foods and less meat is a great way to go. Yeah, and I say that because I feel like there's a lot of fatigue going on. You know, we've had... Like, the good food movement is pretty old now. And, uh, you know, with all the other political issues going on in the world right now, like, there's there's a lot of fatigue, um, you know, fighting for causes and so forth and standing up for it. But just simply eating less meat, that just sounds okay, you know, really doable. Yeah, and it's, you know, just next time you're getting a burrito, you know, just ask for guacamole instead of chicken. I mean, this doesn't have to be super complicated. You know, we're not talking about using strange ingredients or, you know, my parents can't pronounce quinoa. This is the average person is not in in New York City like us right now. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't have access to some of these foods. They don't have access to the education. And so I think just making it as simple as possible and non-judgmental, you know, not recognizing that it's difficult to make some some of these changes. But... I think um, the, the easiest thing we can ask of people is that they consider eating less meat, particularly if they're in a position to do so. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you call it a vegetarianism, that's the message. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, though, um, we're going to cut to a quick little commercial break, but let's talk after the break about how we reach people who might not pick up this book. Sounds All right. Great. Be right back. I don't think there's anybody worthy to run this company but the people who built it. I have employees who've been with me for more than 30 years, and plus, each and every one of them deserves to be an owner. That's just the way it ought to be, and that's just the way it is. This is Bob Moore. He and his wife, Charlie, started Bob's Red Mill almost four decades ago. Today, they offer one of the largest lines of organic whole grain foods in the country. And in 2010, on his 81st birthday, Bob gifted ownership of the company to his employees. I'd received plenty of offers to buy my company over the years, but selling out never felt like the right thing to do. When the time comes to let someone else run this show, I can't imagine selling it to a stranger. Giving the company to my hardworking employees just feels right. The company now has an Employee Stock Ownership Plan, or ESOP. Stock is put in a retirement plan for all of its employees. When employees retire, the company buys back their shares. According to the National Center for Employee Ownership, about 11,000 companies in the U.S. currently run as ESOPs. It just shows how much faith and trust Bob has in us. That's Bo Thomas, the company's engineer and maintenance superintendent. 
He's been with Bob's Red Mill for over 27 years and has put his four children through college in the process. For all of us, it's, it's more than just a job. And, and obviously, it's the same way for Bob, too. Bob is still very active in the company. He's the president and CEO, and you'll find him working at the mill just about every day. Because when you love something this much, you want to be a part of it. Well, I may have given them the company, but the boss part is still mine. Bob's Red Mill is committed to sharing only the freshest, best-tasting whole grain foods on the planet. Learn more about their mission of good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. All right, you're back listening to Eat Your Words. That was a heartwarming message from our sponsor, Bob's, bleh, Bob's Red Mill. And we're back chatting with Brian Cateman, the author of The Reducitarian Solution and the founder of the Reducitarian Foundation. So we, this book is a wonderful compilation of essays from really leading thought leaders. We mentioned a couple, you know, Bill McKibben, there's Jeffrey Sachs, there's Naomi or. Oreskes and Peter Singer. And um, they're all, you know, Many of these have written books on their certain um, thesis around uh, environment and eating and so forth. So, um, you know, I'm curious, though, how we, you know, a lot of the times people can say, like, you know, this is a little bit preaching to the choir. You know, certainly many of these books, um, even like the essay by Carol, um, was it Adams, mentions that, you know, when her book came out, nobody really... It didn't really get the traction that she was hoping for. So how do we reach people who really ought to get the message here and yeah. not just the choir? That's a really great question, and it's it's really the entire premise of our work at the Reducitarian Foundation. Mm-hmm. You know, I see a lot of these groups are um, preaching to the choir, and it can be challenging for any movement. You know, I think the book is is written in such a way that it's meant to be targeting someone who is eating large amounts of animal products. It doesn't have any pitch to go vegan. It doesn't have any pitch to go vegetarian. Mm-hmm. The message is all about how it can improve their health and improve the planet. Um, but it is just one strategy for reaching people books. Okay. And so as part of our work at the Reduced Australian Foundation, we're using all sorts of different strategies. So we have lots of local grassroots events. We have a documentary that we're currently is underway we have cool. lots of social media campaigns. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's um, identifying different avenues for reaching people is really mm-hmm. part of it. You can't just use one one strategy. But messaging is important. You know, I think yeah. in a lot of ways when the average person hears go vegan or go vegetarian, I think they hear something like give up all the food that you love. It's yeah. a very uh, intense request of someone who's not familiar with plant-based eating. And so our hope is that using strategic messaging will allow people to pick up that book and uh, perhaps buy it and read it instead of putting it down. Yeah. And, and there's so many, you know, this seems like a manifesto for a lot of the things that maybe are discussed at your events, but, um, you know, to have that in literature is really great. And each, each piece, I guess is, or essay in here is pretty short. There's like a whole 70 of them, right? Yeah. They're like a thousand words each. Very introductory meant for people who, I mean, it's meant for people who haven't thought about this before or people who are in the movement and are fans and, you know, want to understand maybe a little bit broader than than their their particular knowledge. Um, You know, people who are maybe interested in global hunger or something, maybe that's part of their work. There's an essay on that. I thought it was one of the things that really surprised me was um, the essay talking about how omega-3 is the mm-hmm. most abundant fat in the world, and yet America is uh, deficient. 
um, our diet is deficient in it. So. That was a really interesting essay, and yeah. I, I think about that a lot. You know, like um, walnuts, for example, are something that I'm I'm often shoveling walnuts in. have omega. <laughs> they have omegas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> if you're, you know, a lot of people, but this is this is part of it. I mean, people yeah. have all these questions around diet and nutrition, and you know, you have to do it right. I mean, when I first started doing this, my go-to vegan meal was pasta. I mean, I was just piling in the pasta. That's what I do a lot too. <laughs> but there's so many other foods that are, you know, mm. part of this plant-based world. And um, that's why I'm really excited about the recipes. You know, the recipes in the book are vegan, they're vegetarian, but they're also less yeah. meat. I meet people who don't want to, you know, get rid of meat in their meal. And I say, you know what, just put one or two ounces in your spaghetti bolognese. You know, don't put six ounces. You can, right, you can right. even just have reduced Use meat recipes. Use meat as like a condiment or a flavoring exactly. instead and push it over to the side. Um, so, okay, so was there anything that really surprised you? Any arguments that you've learned along the way that you're just blown away by? You know, the, the thing that I'm, that I'm still thinking about and that I'm most surprised by is around food waste. I hear a lot of people talking about... I was going to bring this up too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah. I, I hear I hear a lot of people talking about food waste, and you know, I think imagine you go to a restaurant and someone orders, a, I don't know, a steak, and then they throw they it's a twelve ounce steak, and they only eat six ounces of it, and then they toss it away, and that's probably really you know disheartening. But when the real waste comes from the production side, because in order to create that steak or that that drumstick. For, for a cow, it can require 25 calories on a typical factory farm to just get one calorie out oh. of a steak. So you or, are throwing away fields with the, you know, two bites of steak well, of, you know, grain and so forth. Entirely. Water. Yeah. And um, imagine on the ch- on the chicken side, you know, it's nine calories in for one calorie out. So imagine if we saw, you know, nine plates of, I don't know, pasta being tossed into the trash before your food even gets to you. There's so much waste involved. And so that really is a a shift for me. I've just never thought about the amount of feed and the amount of resources that actually go into producing animal products into comparison to plant-based ones, which tend to be... Um, require uh, significantly fewer resources, including feed, obviously. It's it's mind-boggling. And, you know, we've been talking about food waste a little bit more in the media. I've seen, you know, that gaining traction. Obviously, it's, you know, food waste is creating emissions that are really harmful for the... It's a huge loss of money and so forth. But um, I feel like a lot of that conversation is around vegetables and vegetable rot and and the emissions from that, you know, hunking piles of salad, which are tossed away. But also, you know, there's millions of pounds of meat that uh, lost, you know, like they're past their sell-by date in the supermarket that are thrown away. And something about that really sickens me. Like to think of an animal being like slaughtered and ending up in the, you know, the trash. Yeah, it's it's astounding. I mean, it's... it's it's It just seems immoral, you know? And yeah. I eat meat, but like, oh, that gives me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's particularly upsetting. I mean, I think I think though, even for, for me, it's just even if I eat the six ounces of steak, I don't I don't waste it. I just find it incredibly odd that it's sort of the equivalent of twenty five plates of vegetables. Because you understand this, right? The vegetables went to feed the cow, and then that, yeah. and that cow converted all of the the those calories into meat, and so. It's it's really odd. I think we're more sort of distant from it, right? It seems odd. It seems more wrong to have food in front of you and then maybe mm-hmm. toss it in the trash. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's it's very distant to think about this, you know, this cow on some you know farm. Brian, being what fed, if somebody's right? trying to be eating less meat and that's why they throw it at them? <laughs> right, right. I, I don't know. I mean, 
it seems like okay if this um this steak is gonna be tossed by the supermarket because the sell by date is tomorrow maybe I should eat it maybe I should buy more you know meat I think wow that's I, tough I, I think <laughs> I, I think there are moral gray areas you know yeah. and I think that's why this whole perfection idea is kind of silly and, and purity you know um okay in those in those rare instances where let's say you order I don't know you order a plant based meal and then the, the the waiter comes over and gives you a plant based meal but it also has steak in it. I mean, maybe in that moment you eat it because it's already there. I mean, I guess you could protest and you can say you shouldn't do this again. Maybe that teaches the waiter a lesson or something. But no, I think worrying about these very specific, minute examples is is silly in the the broader scheme of all these people who are eating these these 275 pounds of meat a year. It's very disturbing, though, just to think about the waste um, that goes into meat production right now. And that's one of those things that, you know, you feel really helpless sometimes. Then you just realize, you know, I'm going to do my part, you know, just eat a little bit less meat. Yeah. So, um, okay. So uh, what else is on the horizon for reducetarians? Well, one thing I'm really excited about is the summit that we're organizing mm-hmm. in, in New York City on May 20th and 21st. And the idea is to bring all the different leaders of the movement together to awesome. strategically talk about how we can reduce societal meat consumption. Mm-hmm. You know, listeners may know that there's different messages on the environmental side or the human health side or animal welfare side. And they don't or the always... the sexual politics side and so forth. Yeah. <laughs> that too. Uh-huh. And they don't always agree on everything. Um, um, but all of these leaders agree that reducing societal meat consumption is really hmm. important. And so I'm excited about a space where all these people will come together and they're going to strategize. How can we reduce societal meat consumption? Is it through education and communications? Is it with policy initiatives? Is it with marketing initiatives? Is it with um, entrepreneurship and investment and in, in future of food type companies? Um, to me, bringing together these leaders and having us work together rather right. than in silos is really important. So that's the two problems. Are there going to be arguments we're going to see? <laughs> Some I, clashing of I'm opinions sh- on this? I'm and, sure there will be yeah. lots of arguments around strategies, right? Mm-hmm. Which strategies are most important? We have limited we have limited resources, so we have to figure out how best to use um, our, our time and our money. Yeah. But I, where I'm hoping we're not going to disagree in this particular space is around reducing societal meat consumption. There are lots of conferences and lots of spaces where we have debates around, you know, is climate change real, for example, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or uh, do animals feel suffering or pain, yeah, or these sorts of totally. philosophical questions. This is not that conference. This is a place where you want to get involved. You want to act. You want to reduce societal meat consumption because mm-hmm. we need to work together. That's We need each other. We, we're, There's we're, a common goal here. That's yeah, right. That's really exciting. So um, May in New York City? May 20th and 21st at NYU in New York City. Yep. Okay. We'll find out more from Reducetarian. Uh, just following reducetarian.org? Yeah, reducetarian.org slash summit or reducetarian.org slash book um, for the book. And the other big project we're working on is a documentary, and I'm really excited about that. I yeah, think when is that coming out? It'll be a few years. We're just, okay. just going un- underway now. <laughs> um, but I do think there's a, a space for, you know, I think of my parents. What, what can I show them to get them excited? Right. That's not preachy or judgmental and to so, educate them. Hmm. And this is that documentary. It's going to be in, very educational in tone. And hopefully get people to think about where their food comes and what changes they can make to their diet to make a difference. It's fun. So what do your parents think of this book? Have you succeeded in getting them to eat less meat? Yeah, I think they are. You know, they're excited about Meatless Monday. That's something okay. that, I, that they try That's out. Cool. I also go home and when I'm there, I, I sometimes will cook them dinner, for mm-hmm. example, to, to teach them a little bit. Um, Parents are wonderful in that they're proud of often of their, mm. their children, no matter what they're doing. They still ask me, like, or sometimes, are you still doing that vegan thing? That's the summary for my 
<laughs> for my existence. Um, um, but it, I love them because they're a reminder to me of the sort of everyday person. You know, mm. growing up in Staten Island, my favorite foods were buffalo wings from, I don't know, Applebee's and a hamburger from Chili's. You mm. know, that was what I ate every single day with my parents or we barbecued or it just the idea of eating fruits and vegetables and, and whole grains was pretty foreign. And I'm really grateful for that because I think it grounds me in, in, in not being part of this preaching to the choir yeah. space, really thinking about what it is that the everyday person thinks and how challenging it is to navigate this incredibly complex world, particularly when we're not making choices based on ethics and, and, and mm-hmm. environments, on convenience, taste, price, etc. So That's great perspective, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, shouldn't our parents all pick up this book and uh, hopefully we'll all be better for that? Um, I can't wait to share it with more friends and folks that you know might be looking for ways to be healthy and so forth. So yeah, I think that's a great way to go about it. Anyone who's already in this movement, who maybe is vegan or vegetarian or is, is significantly reduced the amount of animal products that they consume, this is the book to give to someone who is an omnivore, who is eating meat all the time, and they don't want to go vegan or vegetarian, perhaps, but this is a book that you can give them to just show them, hey, you know what, incorporating some plant-based meals into your diet is a great way to go. And whatever message speaks to them. You know, my dad in particular, I'm like, dad, I just want you to be around longer, you know? Mm. Can we can we reduce <laughs> your risk of obesity and heart disease and all these other um, ailments that run in our family? And that speaks to him. Whereas, you know, an environmental message or an animal rights message might speak to a younger person um, yeah. who's, who's more excited to, to get involved in those cause areas. Very cool. Well, I'm excited to see how um, this will uh, affect folks. And I'm really excited for the launch. Thanks so much for coming on this show. A sneak preview, I guess, of this book. And um, yeah, congrats. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's out April 18th. And thanks everyone for picking up a copy. Yeah, get it from uh, Tarcher Penguin. And that's about all the time we have today for Eat Your Words. But we'll see you next week on Heritage Radio. Thanks. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.